0: Hello and welcome to the Louis Talks podcast. I am with you here today, right in the middle of COVID-19, as you can probably tell by my extremely long beard and hair. I'm, I'm going to hide it behind the microphone because I haven't had either of them trimmed in about, about eight weeks. And today I bought a beard straightening comb, thinking that it would make the situation better. And in fact, it's, it's kind of made it slightly worse, slightly longer uh, for sure. And I've gone from beard-level hipster to beard-level Merlin the wizard. I won't have to market for clients soon. I'll just be able to conjure them with a staff. Um, But on to the seriousness of the podcast. So I recorded this podcast a little while ago, as you can tell from the difference in length of beard and hair when you watch it. And I had a fantastic friend of mine, Tamsin Fox-Davies, on it for an interview. Now, Tamsin Works with the Agile Business Consortium. And what the Agile Business Consortium actually does is talk about agility within business. But it's my frustration and Tamsin's great frustration that when most people think of agility, they think of digital marketing, maybe software. And then, of course, there's the classic getting staff to work from home one day a week and buying them chocolate on a Friday. Now, I'm not saying those things aren't necessarily agile. They make up a part of being agile. But I think what agility truly is in business is far more than that. It comes from the very roots and foundations of the organisation from an everyday level all the way through, of course, to company culture, employee engagement and software and indeed marketing. So in this discussion, Tams and I dig deep into what agility is within business and companies and organizations, how people can make their organizations more agile, what that process looks like, because I think everyone's at different stages. We have a conversation about the difference in generations as well, because I I feel in my work as a business developer that that greatly changes from organisation to organisation, sometimes based on age and gender gaps within companies, cultures, things like that. They can all affect the way that a company or organisation is agile. So I was going to post this podcast a little bit later, decided not to, because I think with the situation that we're in at the moment with COVID-19, now more than ever, businesses, organizations, NGOs, everybody needs to be more agile. Now, given there are organizations and businesses out there, friends of mine who've got businesses in uh, industries like the construction industry, where really there is very little that can be done now, apart from looking at brand and marketing and assessing where to go in the future. But I think for most of us, This is a really, really opportune moment to look at our businesses with a a microscope in a way, you know, to, to take a good hard look at what we're doing and really understand how we might be able to be more agile and therefore take not necessarily an opportunity of this time, but to look at our business models and figure out how we can improve and evolve into the future because um, that's what it's really all about so i really hope that you enjoy this conversation and interview with tamzin and i hope that you take something from it i love to hear from people about the podcast so if you do have any questions please let me know Uh, and in both of the descriptions there'll be links down below to connect with myself on social media or with Tamsin on LinkedIn. So um, yeah, please enjoy this interview. Thank you so much for watching. And I hope that you are safe, happy and well through this COVID situation. And if there's absolutely anything that I can do, please don't hesitate to ask. Hi, Tamsin. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast this morning. Um, Great to have you on. So um, let's just jump into things. Obviously, you are part of the Agile Business Consortium, um, yep. and we've had a couple of conversations before, very in line with um, business agility. And obviously, we both both work with lots and lots of different businesses of different sizes and different shapes. So tell me a little bit more about yourself. Tell, tell the listeners about yourself and the Agile Business Consortium
1: sure um so thanks for for having me on today i'm really excited to be part of the podcast Um so my background is in small businesses entrepreneurship and particularly on the marketing side and the kind of the customer engagement side of things so i've worked with tech startups um and right through to running my own business as a as a marketing consultant as well um all of that has been really helpful in the work that I do with the agile business consortium because I didn't realize, but actually a lot of what I was doing anyway was taking quite an agile approach. Um, and then through working with the consortium, I've learned more about what that means, um, how it works and, and also what the benefits for organizations are. So for people that are listening that don't know, um, Business agility is basically about making sure that businesses can be more flexible, more adaptable, because everything is changing so quickly now. And it's really, really hard for organisations to keep up, particularly as oftentimes their customers are ahead of them in terms of what their expectations are um, versus what the business can, can deliver or feels like it needs to be delivering. You know, we've got so many different influences in terms of, you know, the kind of the macro political climate. Um, people are becoming more attuned to different issues that they care more about and businesses need to have an answer to those things. So what we do at the consortium is we help organisations and individuals to do that. We're a membership organisation. We're a not-for-profit. Um, we're This year we're in our 25th anniversary year and we started off actually working with software developers, which is where um, Agile as a as a Concept and the discipline comes from. So the idea was there that um, when people were working on software projects, often what happened was they ran a long project, they produced something, but by the end of it, it wasn't actually what people wanted. Maybe it'd overrun on time. Um, normally, it'd overrun on budget. So when you take an agile approach, what you do is you, you break that down. So you get very clear on what your big picture is, but then you start small, you try something and then you iterate and you build up in increments. And that can be applied to much more obviously than just software. These days we're seeing things like agile marketing, agile HR, agile finance. Becoming bigger and bigger issues. Um, so, at the consortium, we do research, uh, we produce case studies, we run events, um, we provide support to our members. Um, we've got a lot of information that's available for our, through our website for free, at agilebusiness.org, um, and then our members obviously get some, you know, some extra stuff on top of that. And uh, and we deliberately make our membership very affordable as well. So it's fifty quid a year um, for an individual plus VAT.
0: Amazing, yeah. I, th- I think this is something that obviously I I see an awful lot of uh, as a consultant and, and working with lots of different companies as a marketer as well. Um, there's a real issue, uh, particularly around marketing, sort of social media, tech. Everything moves so quickly. And like mm. you said, I, th- I think it's more and more difficult now for businesses, particularly older businesses, to stay with the times. I think you, obviously you see with a lot of new startups. They're already, you know, and it's. I guess it's a generational thing as well. Um, I was probably the last generation that wasn't born with a smartphone in its hand. Um, but then obviously on, on from that, so many startup companies have got very young team members. And so they're kind of already agile in their makeup, but it's actually those businesses that have been around for a while that have got a bit of a a mixed team in terms of age and generation and so I guess where does an organization if if an organization feels like like you said they're a little bit maybe behind the times or the customers are asking for things that they're not currently offering what's the starting point for them to become more agile?
1: I think as as a starting point actually just recognizing that Like maybe, you know, saying, oh, maybe we're not keeping up. Maybe we do need to try a bit harder and do a bit more. Um, We see a lot of organisations who are in denial that feel like they're just going to be able to carry on regardless. Um, I can't remember where it came from, but I saw um, statistics, some statistics a little while ago that was basically saying that, you know, something like 70 percent of our current banking institutions are going to be out of business within 15 years. Those numbers are not accurate, but you get the point. It's a lot of them, and and they're going to be going out of business because they are these monolithic organisations who have been doing things the same way for a long time. Um, So recognising that issue at the start is important. Now obviously it's the whole turning the super tanker analogy. It is much harder to change a big business to become more agile than it is a small business. As you say, a lot of smaller businesses and startups they will be happier to to change things. Um but it's also a mindset as well. You have to you have to be open to the opportunity. Um, we run a big conference every year, the Agile Business Conference, which is just coming up in um in September, and uh, one of our keynotes this year is actually the head of um, Agile and DevOps for Lloyds Banking Group, a guy called Michael Saunders. We think that that's the biggest Agile transformation in the world. They're putting about three billion into changing their whole business. Um, so when you compare the likes of Lloyds to some of the challenger banks that are, that are coming up, you know the online only um, new banks like Monzo that we're seeing, they're obviously looking at that and going okay they do business in a completely different way Um, you know how what can we learn from that Um, how can we compete with them and they're they're taking on the challenge and that's really admirable Um, and we're seeing it in other industries as well so yesterday I was talking to um, one of the agile leads from Eon from the energy company again massive organization, Um, and they've been working on their Agile transformation, I think, since 2011. Um, And they now have, I think it's only 12 Agile coaches, Um, but they've got thousands and thousands of employees all over the world. Um, And what uh, Dave, the guy there, was saying to me is that What they did was they looked for people who didn't necessarily have experience in um, agile in inverted commas in the in the sort of the technology change kind of way, but had that mindset about, oh, let's experiment, let's try things that can be different. Let's find people who who want to work to help improve the organisation and they've upskilled them from within. And it's really, really exciting to see. So they now have a community, an internal community of about 400 people that are really into um, business agility and more agile ways of working. And together they're changing, continuing to change the way that Eon does business.
0: Amazing. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned Monzo there. Um, I've been a Monzo only user for good few years now um i was sort of in in that kind of early adoption cohort that that came into monzo and, and because i was traveling a lot at the time made a huge amount of sense for me to use it but actually coming you know being back in the uk i, I use it for everything like you said I, yeah. I think it's really interesting to see something as as ancient really as banking being changed and when you listen to a lot of the guys and, and the team in monzo talking about their business agility it's it's layers and layers deep i think that's the interesting thing there's obviously this sort of front-facing brand that the coral card which is very distinctive and then all the way mm. through the layers of the customer service um, i've messaged customer service many times and had a response almost instantly through my phone it 's convenient. I can send pictures and videos or whatever I need to do, but I think then those other layers are the things that they 're doing around mental health around company culture you know yeah and and I think that that's quite interesting because I think that quite a few people see business agility as just oh well we need to rethink our customer journey we need to maybe think our front end sales or we need to do a bit of a rebrand you know new new logo a little bit more colorful slight change in the tone of voice but actually I I think it's it's those deeper levels and um, I was talking to a guy called Jonathan Winchester recently who's part of a company called Insight Six and Mm -hmm. um, he's done some really great talks uh, that that are available online and and he always says he's really the Insight Six for a company that deal with company culture and customer Mm -hmm. journey and and it starts with the people And, and I think that that's part of the challenge isn't it for these big companies is recognizing not only that they need to change but actually that there's a whole cultural shift that needs to come with that to empower the employees from you know the lower levels so that then that permeates all the way through the company so what what's your perspective on that relationship of you know deep cultural change within companies
1: um thank you for handing me that soapbox because (laughs) i have something to say so let me tell you, the number of times that I go to an event to speak to a group of people and somebody, and, and it's normally more than one person in, in the room will say, oh, yes, so we do agile working. And I get really excited because I'm like, oh, great. What does that mean? You know, do you have um, kind of regular team stand ups? Do you um, come together as, as kind of cross-functional groups to work on problems? Blah, 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 blah. No, they mean they're hot desking and they get to work from home one day a week and they call that agile working. At which point I try to not visibly roll my eyes because it's just a shame. It's just really sad. There's someone in that organisation who thought it was a good idea to put that name on things and kind of try and make it a little bit better, you know, sound a little bit better than really it is. Now, I'm all for getting people to work from home and hot desking can work in the right environment. Not knocking that. But that is not agile. And in fact, true business agility isn't about making your processes more agile. It's actually about making your strategy more agile as a whole organisation. And I think that there's got to be very much a root and branch approach to that because you need the you need the organisational leadership to obviously understand that and to want to do it. But also you need the culture, which you say goes down to the lowest, you know, level of, of person in the organization if you if it's one of those traditional more sort of hierarchical organizations because um, you know some of the principles that that we espouse for agile leadership and, and agile culture and just business agility like um you know good ideas can come from anywhere is one of our, our fundamental principles that we talk about now if you have an organization where um like the cleaner is afraid to speak up but they've got a really really good idea then that's not going to help and that's part of that's part of leadership and it's about part of culture as a whole and in fact there was a really good example um i think it's the company it's yeah it's the people that do cheetos um there is a like a super hot version of cheetos and that came about because one of the guys um who was a a janitor in the organization said look there is nothing here that actually um, appeals to the Latinx kind of market who like things a bit spicier. We're missing a huge amount of market share. And he like sat at home, came up with some ideas, came up with some spices and talked to the CEO and the leadership team about it. Um, and uh, I think he's now one of their senior product leads in the organization. It was, a, it was a video I saw the other day. But this is a perfect example. The people who Another agile principle is that the people who are closest to the problem are best able to help solve it. The further away you are, which typically means further up the hierarchy, actually, the, the less idea you have about the practical solutions. Um, So we have a a couple of free resources that people are very, very welcome to go and have a look at. They're they're all on our website. So we have um, a set of principles for agile leadership and a set of principles for agile culture. And the thing that we've got to go along with the agile culture piece as well is what we call the, um, the agile culture DNA matrix. And it's a really simple table. And for each of the pillars of agile culture, it helps you figure out whereabouts you are, how agile you actually are as an organisation and where do you want to be. Um, There's a lot of people who will who will automatically say, oh, well, we want to be the most agile, but actually that might not be appropriate or where they really need to be it could be that actually they need they want to be scoring much higher for say innovation than they do for one of one of the other areas of culture and you can figure that out um, and you can use it as a discussion tool and to actually ask people it's like okay if we want to believe that good ideas could come from anywhere and we want people in our organization to feel that let's ask them do they feel comfortable speaking up let's find out let's let's try and experiment where that makes things possible and see who actually steps forward to take part so yeah rant rant over (laughs) it's
0: it's really good to hear because i think that that is one of the great misconceptions i see with a lot of companies i go in they want to make changes they 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 have that initial understanding of "Hmm, maybe things aren't quite right or Company culture isn't quite where it should be, but they then put all of their focus into the sales and marketing side. And and that's fine. But when you've got team members in the company that are decentralized or um, not feeling engaged with the business, then it doesn't matter how good your front end marketing is and your funnels. If a guy picks up the phone who's miserable and doesn't like his job, you've got a problem. And and I think mm-hmm. that as you said, what an incredible example of a company. You know, obviously Cheetos, whoever the the sort of manufacturing body is or, or whoever makes them. But what an incredible thing that you know to to not only take an idea on board but actually make it happen and then promote the guy through the ranks of the business so yeah i I think it's incredible when an organization understands how to do that all the way through the business and and like i was saying is that when when a company doesn't really understand that at root cause the people that are closest to the problem know the solution and i and i think that sometimes it's almost a bit of an ego problem i think with with a lot of businesses yes. you know that that there's this not wanting to put power in in their eyes or put too much responsibility for the business overall business direction in the hands of staff members who are perhaps not in upper management and so mm-hmm. I, I that's a real challenge and how how do you see that and and I, I get that certain organisations are just never going to get it because if, if they don't understand it and they're not willing to make that change. But if but if somebody is struggling a little bit, what would be your advice in understanding how how to to get over some of those, you know, sort of battles within company politics, let's say?
1: I think it's about redefining who you are as a leader and also who you want your leaders in your organisation to be, if you're at that senior level where you can help to direct that. Um, So um, in Agile and Business Agility, people talk a lot about servant leadership and that's really at the crux of it. So the idea that a leader is there to serve the organisation and the people that work with them. Um, And it's not about, you know, being a glorified PA. Um, It's about actually coaching and facilitating those people to get done what they need to do. It's about getting obstacles out of their way. Um, it's got an awful lot to do with trust. So I think a lot of teams who are transitioning, um, and, and bigger organizations as well, who are transitioning to to want to be more genuinely agile in, in terms of their culture, they probably need to go down a road of doing some work on internal trust, because typically, many organizations, that just doesn't exist. Um, we, as an organisation, have been through our own transformation as we've grown. I mean, we used to be, uh, when, when we first started, it was entirely a volunteer-led organisation and we have 12 people um, in the team now. And as we've been through a restructure um, and, uh, and you know, making transitions into, into different roles where we've become much more of a, a kind of a, a flat structure as well um even with only 12 people like we've been working on that we've had um, a coach that we've we've had the ability to work with one-to-one um we've also been doing um, group work on team communication on strategy development um you know big decisions we we often workshop together although obviously john our, our ceo will will sort of give us the the pointers um he very much comes to us as well and says okay this is this is what we want to be doing a have i missed anything and b like what's the best way to approach that because he he needs us to implement it so so it's a good idea to kind of ask like how do you want how do you want to make that work and i think there are some people that will probably always struggle in an agile culture because they basically just want to be told what to do um but typically, you know, I think I think there's always going to be jobs for them, just maybe not in those organizations that really do become fundamentally much more agile or or maybe it's a completely different role that they need.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think it, and that sounds incredible. You know, it's it's great to have a position where the CEO is actually asking, you know, the, the team and saying, well, actually, what do we all think? Because I think mm. it's you know i i um a, a long time ago used to work with quite a few ex military personnel who were going into business and although there was this idea of respect that was passed down from sort of rank to rank ultimately there was an understanding of of a team because when your life is on the line if the team doesn't function well enough yes. somebody's going to get hurt And so I think it was quite interesting to have that perspective that actually a lot of businesses don't have that. There's almost this, I see a lot of businesses almost like the Viking ship where there's the chief Viking on the front of the boat and they're sort of, you know, whipping the rowers, um, (laughs) you know, sort of into action. And it's just Mm -hmm. this, this is how it is, this is what you do, that's the process. And I think that I've worked with a number of organisations recently where The CEO is just, you know, and not really a fault of their own in a sense, but they're just a little bit more detached from the business. And so because of that, a lot of the staff and team members are, are offering up really good solutions and saying, well, we're the guys that are doing it. We understand that there's a problem here. Why can't we have that solved? And so I think that's a real challenge is that when you've got companies that are perhaps a little bit bigger and they've got that middle management, but if you haven't got that and it is almost, you know, CEO or business owner or MD and then the team members, that sometimes I find is even a little bit more of a challenge because they've just been very used to, as a business owner or MD, just pushing their agenda and everyone should just accept it. So I think How how would you start to deal with that as a slightly different dynamic? Yeah, it
1: is a different dynamic. I mean, I think that's classic founder syndrome, isn't it? That's that's the problem. And I mean, what what you see happening quite frequently is that the the founder actually either leaves the business or becomes, um, you know, takes on more of a kind of a chairman type role rather than, um, you know, rather than the, the kind of MD role i've seen some organizations work quite effectively where they've brought someone else in to kind of balance them so they've brought in um you know an operations lead who's the person that makes everything run so the founder can keep doing the kind of like wacky ideas type stuff and also using their um You know, their kind of cachet as the founder of that organization to uh, to build partnerships and and all of that kind of thing. But I think it's yeah, I think it's hard. And I think it's a personal challenge for for founders and um, and uh, business owners, because oftentimes they don't recognize it. I think, you know, sometimes if they're lucky, they might end up starting to work with, say, a business coach who can actually tap them on the shoulder and say, look, you know, You've done great so far. You're not the person to be in this position to take your business to the next stage, and yeah. that's hard to let go of.
0: Yeah, sure, absolutely. And and having built my own businesses, I, I you know, it's it's your baby. It's it's you've mm-hmm. grown this thing from the start. And I think that it is quite interesting that a lot of friends. In the investment world, you know, most founders end up being pushed out because, like you said, unfortunately, they're a little bit too emotionally attached to the business. They're a little bit too difficult to work around and they have very specific ideas about mm-hmm. how to grow the business. And And it's not to say that those ideas and concepts are bad. It's just that sometimes you need more of a team to manage that process, like you said. and And I yep. think that it's really nice to see that there are the organisations out there like the Monzos of the world, and many, many others that are becoming a lot more agile and putting staff first and putting company health and company culture and and health and wellness and all of these things they're really putting them into the fabric of the organization and but i think the challenge is for a lot of business owners is return on investment Mm -hmm. that's the classic one you hear is well what's the return on investment of company culture you know i'm going to take my staff out for a, a big lunch after we've won a contract or you know small little things buying them gifts you know, when they've done something really good, or they're, they're just they're really small things. But again, most businesses and owners will say, "Well, well what's the return on investment?" And uh, and it's a challenging thing to say because, of course, it is a longer term thing. And when you look at um, companies like Mind Valley and, and Vision, and you look at mm-hmm. um, you know Sir Richard Branson, obviously a, a, a great example. And when you read a lot of his books and materials, he's been doing it for for years you know putting company culture at the real at the forefront of his business i mean there was a, a case that when virgin airlines first started up and he was attacked by british airways in in very clever ways but they were basically doing a bit of a smear campaign mm-hmm. and it all came to a head where he ended up suing ba for a huge amount of money and it's it's i, I think still it's the largest anyone has ever won from ba And Mm -hmm. he gave it all to his staff, you know, divided it all between the staff members. And I think that, I don't know, that question of return on investment, I just see it as when you look at these businesses that are super successful, surely isn't that telling you that there is return on investment here? that you know if, if you look at a lot of um Sir richard branson businesses or mind valley or gymshark which is a really good example of a business that's just down the road from from where i am you know the average age in the business is 22 or 23 and they're doing 185 million turnover but they've got such an incredible company culture so um what do you say to that question of what's going to be my return on investment if if i become more agile
1: i think um there's there's a couple of different things there. I mean, I think first of all, there's addressing the issue of what people think a positive company culture is. A positive company culture does not mean that you have a foosball table that, and drinks every Friday. That might be part of what you do, but that doesn't make a positive company culture. And and I've seen organisations in the past where, you know, they put those things in place as an excuse to really, drive people very very hard the rest of the time and that's not what it's about I mean I think definitely if you look at um so agile culture like I said that's you know that's much more about um innovation uh having people understand that they can work in small sprints having people understand that they can make mistakes as well um you know th- those kind of things I think that's much more at the heart of at the heart of what it is and rewards and appreciation are important. I think they matter. Um, I think the return on investment question for, for those kind of things is almost negligible because they cost so little in the grand scheme of things. So, for example, uh, one of the benefits that we get here is um, is health insurance. Now, if we have access to Improved healthcare and people that we know that we can go to and we can get treatment quicker because, as we all know, our NHS is completely overstretched. Then that's good for the business because there's more time, there's there's more in work time for people rather than out of work time. Like those kind of things are super simple. Um, in terms of agility, a lot of a lot of people talk about it as being, you know, kind of better, faster, cheaper that's not always the case normally faster yes um and that's normally in time uh in terms of time to first value that's that's received rather than necessarily finishing the whole project whatever it is but you get you get returns quicker um cheaper not necessarily but you do tend to get better quality and so therefore over time the value of those outputs is better um and yeah and and better generally speaking that's you know that's definitely uh, uh, an outcome, I think, for taking a more agile approach if you do it properly. And if you actually see it through Um there's, there's a Dilbert cartoon that I saw a little while ago because everything can be reduced to a Dilbert cartoon in business. Right. That's just that's just the way it is. And it was about um, it was about the boss was saying that he wanted he wanted uh, the organization to be more agile, but only in this small box over here. Like That's not really how it works. Yes, you can demonstrate some of the benefits of agility, but um, you need to actually take it through your, your whole organisation. Um, but there's a whole load of different metrics that you can look at. And I think one of the, one of the clearest ones is probably staff retention. Better staff retention means that you're spending less on recruitment, you're spending less on redundancy payments um, and, and those kind of things. And it also means that you tend to have uh, people who are more engaged and more productive. And we know that people need purpose in their lives and in their work. That's what makes people the most happy. Um, salary, good salary and good benefits are helpful, but actually that feeling of purpose and that feeling of being able to contribute and add value is what is what people most um, cherish and a more agile business that has a more agile culture does that for people because they feel like they are part of the solution they're part of the contribution
0: yeah and, and I think picking up on that point of staff retention something something I see a lot recently is a really interesting metric is how many younger people are they holding on to because I yes. think that the younger generation. Because they're more plugged into social media, they're on LinkedIn, they're looking at content, they're watching, you know, Gymshark's content on company culture. They're they're plugged into all of this stuff, so actually, it's really interesting, you know, for businesses to ask themselves, "Am I keeping my younger staff?" Because I think that's a really good, almost metric indicator of how good actually are you at at your company culture and how agile are you? Because if you're able to keep twenty-two-year-olds who there's a learning curve and, and don't get me wrong, I think I was sort of quite lucky to be from a slightly older generation where I was through my own business taught a lot of patience and sometimes mm-hmm. <clears throat> I don't want to be one of those millennial bashers because I'm not, but there, there is a sense of patience that needs to be learnt. but at the same time they are pushing and saying, well what's where is the company culture what's happening uh you know what about a mental health counsellor what about support because i've got anxiety what what about these things that i'm seeing other businesses out there doing why aren't we doing it and so i think that's that's a really interesting one
1: yeah i think i think that's true and i think um you know the the, the millennials and and Generation Z are often criticised for being less loyal. I don't think that that's true. I think they, I think they are loyal, but they're loyal when it's deserved. And um, just because you're mo- more mobile doesn't mean you're less loyal, if you see what I mean. Because I think a lot of people in previous generations would stay in one job basically out of fear. And because what the common perception was, was that you need to kind of serve your time almost like it's that uh, sort of old school apprenticeship mentality um what i think younger employees uh, are looking at now is a do i like my work b am i learning like they want to be learning all the time and as an and as an employer you want them to be learning all the time because then they're going to be more valuable to you as well um, and again am i able to contribute and then i think you've actually got those those extra things those um peripheral kind of support setups and perks that make your job easier to do. Um, But I don't think, in, in the same way that most people don't tend to leave a job because of their salary, I don't think they necessarily leave because there isn't in-house counselling. What they might leave for is if, um, you know, say they've they've got an anxiety problem. And I've worked with people previously who've who've got very severe anxiety. It's not necessarily whether that's in-house, but it's whether they have people that they work with that understand and give them the space to uh, get the support that they need. And they're, you know, and they're okay with the with the fact that do you know what they they are still equal and they can contribute in a really really valuable way and that's just another issue that gets dealt with everybody's got some kind of weird issue everybody's got one um and it's it's just a case of making accommodations for those i think
0: yeah definitely and and i think that whole mental health piece is is just becoming so critical in business and it's so great to see that actually more business leaders are talking about it in a serious way obviously um keep referring back to monzo but i know that they've got an incredible support network uh, you know for mental health within the monzo as an organization and they've got in internal support groups they've got counseling groups because they really understand that like you said it, it's it, in modern society we're actually realizing that we've all probably some issues locked you know deep down inside and actually they do affect us and that understanding of where those issues come from and how they affect us in our relationships personally and, and in our careers and our businesses and like you said it's just having that understanding um, and I think that there's there's a, a great guy called Joe Glover who uh, runs the marketing meetup and he does some really great content on LinkedIn and he did a post a few weeks ago, and, and this might sound a little bit cheesy for most, but he said there's a real issue that we've got is that we don't talk about love enough in business. Mm-hmm. And it's not in the sort of, you know, kind of fluffy sense or romantic love, but just, you know, the appreciation for other people and compassion and understanding and empathy that actually, you know, we've all got things going on in our lives. We've all got, um, you know, issues or it could be, you know, family problems. or And it's that understanding that, of course it's going to affect us in our professional lives of course it's going to affect us at work and like you said it's having that support and understanding whether it's either at work or away from work but that understanding of time and and this idea of health and wellness becoming a lot more holistic Um, you know Deloitte and many other organizations for many years have had Wellness specialists within the organisations, looking at at both physical health but also mental health. I mean, you Mm -hmm. mentioned earlier, obviously about the private medical insurance. I mean, you know, it's such a massive thing because, like you said, you know, the NHS is incredibly stretched, and sometimes when you do need something quick to happen, uh, it's having that support there, and, and what a great incentive to feel. As as a, a part of an organisation, that actually you, you don't necessarily have to worry about that. That if there is some kind of health issue, or you just need to go and see somebody to get something checked out, that it's it's an easier process. Yeah,
1: yeah, it makes it makes a huge difference. I mean, my uh, speaking from from personal experience, um, I had breast cancer about ten years ago, and the the treatment that I was able to access compared to, um, some of my, some of my friends who've been through something similar because I was able to, um, go privately, particularly through the diagnosis part was incredible because I think what people, what people don't appreciate until they go through it is if, if you have a, a potential diagnosis hanging over you, there's something that's going on and you don't know what it is and you're going through tests and you have weeks and weeks and weeks of waiting. That is the worst part. And it's, it ruins your life you know at that time though because there is there is no escape from it once you know what the issue is it's much much easier to deal with it um but when when you have no idea it's it's very very hard and um and it makes such a difference and just that you know because there's that thing as well where if you're in that kind of mental state, it's very, very difficult for you to work. But oftentimes people actually want to be at work because it's that giving them purpose, it's getting them out of the house, it's having people treat them normally, um, and and that's a that's a really hard balance to get right. And um, yeah, and I and I really appreciate and and respect any organisation where they where they deal with that in in a good and sensitive way which should be all of them unfortunately it's not but you know kudos to to the people that do that well
0: yeah definitely and and i think like you said it it, you know it's it's such an important thing for you know serious diagnosis and care but but also on on a on a lower level just access to more information around health and wellness whether it be mental whether it be physical um It's it's such an important thing. And I think even to the extent slightly off topic, but, uh, you know, educational disabilities, as they were once known, Mm -hmm. uh, understanding of differences in employees and the nature of how our brains work and, you know, sort of around about 50 percent of the UK population is dyslexic. And obviously with that, you get what's now known as neurological diversity as this sort of umbrella term. And that then creates all of its own interesting and unusual challenges within the way people learn. Um, Autism affects mental health. There's all sorts of things that I think as a deeper level, the more organisations understand how to look after their staff from a, a mental and physical point of view, obviously you're going to see returns and and I always say to people with health and wellness I I got pretty unhealthy and ill a number of years ago myself was pre-diabetic and got diagnosed with um, onset rheumatoid rheumatoid arthritis and um, I was quite lucky that I'd studied a lot of uh, health and wellness and biochem and various other things and I was sort of able to to help that and alleviate those symptoms incredibly quickly compared Mm -hmm. to most but you know, that was me. I was very lucky to do that. Most people don't have access to that information. Yeah. They don't have access to treatments or different options sometimes of looking at things. And like you said, the diagnosis, you know, because the NHS is notoriously bad at diagnosing because of how stretched and strained the system yeah. is. And, um, you know, and, and it's not necessarily negligence, but you're dealing with a whole cohort of of doctors and nurses who are most of them sleep deprived. Most of them are not looks after themselves. Um, mm-hmm. You know, most of them are struggling, and and so it's human error, uh, and and things like that happen when you're in situations like that. So I think that in the same way in our companies, you see a lot of the time that actually, I was working at, uh, with a company in sort of early part of this year, and so many of the staff were off sick, constantly mm-hmm. because offices are you know a breeding ground for for bugs and colds and flus yep. and stuff and and actually that's another thing that you know is if we're all a little bit healthier and we all have access to that actually it can help the company because then they haven't got you know six or seven team members at, at the same time off sick so it's it's a really interesting one and it's deep within some organizations but like you said most don't ever consider that as part of really you know company culture or looking after staff it's it's an interesting one
1: absolutely and I think the um the the topic particularly of of, uh neurodiversity is a very important one because oftentimes organizations and individuals see that as being a see it as being a hindrance but actually the there's a lot of advantages there too. So um, a friend of mine is a guy called Peter Shankman, um, who's based in the US and he has a brilliant um, podcast about uh, his life as an entrepreneur with ADHD called Faster Than Normal. And he, he fundamentally says if he didn't have adhd he would not have been able to achieve all the things that he's done in his life at the rate that he's done them um and he interviews uh, other people with with different varieties of the condition as well who are oftentimes like people you'd have no clue but they're um you know they're very influential kind of thought leaders highly productive entrepreneurs all of these kinds of people and um part of part of what he talks about as well is how you manage that to an advantage Um, So in agility, we talk a lot about diversity um, and cross-functional teams. And actually, that's not just about having people from different roles in an organization. It's about having people who think in different ways and, um, you know, like autistic uh conditions often come with a very high degree of creativity in a really, really, really specific way. And if you can understand that in your team members, if they're really good at a very particular type of problem solving, then knowing that and being able to go, Sarah, help me out with this because I know that this is how your brain works and you're really, really good at this, then, oh, you can save yourself just so much time and, and anguish and come to a really solid result a lot quicker. And um, yeah, I don't think we look at that closely enough.
0: Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting one. I did some work with Ernst Young I um, uh, oh, got to be five or six years ago i think now and they actually were saying within their organization that they found that there was this almost like golden ratio of of about 30 plus percent um people within that team that should be neurodiverse because actually it was the creativity the problem solving the big ideas the big concepts but you then needed other team members to to follow up on the detail yeah. or the opposite in in when you look at aut I mean I'm I'm autistic myself but mm-hmm. when you look at the autistic side on hyper detail focus like you said it yeah. you know, developers programmers you know an, an awful lot of very highly skilled mathematical and detailed orientated people are also autistic so it's understanding that balance of if You, if you understand that within a team and how it affects the team as a whole, it, it, as you said, it can be a great asset. And, um, it is interesting that so many big successful entrepreneurs that we've all heard of are, um, neurodiverse, you know, mm-hmm. obviously, Sir Richard Branson, Theo Patheta, something that you know, the list goes on and on, Bill Gates, yep. uh, Seth Godin,
1: you know, loads of them, yeah, loads of them, yeah,
0: exactly. So, I, th- I think that this is another aspect like you said of again understanding your people deeper and Mm -hmm. a lot of the time particularly with older generations because I think um, the younger generation probably passed me really because we we, um, when I was diagnosed at 11 we still had to pay for it privately but I think now you know as the kids coming through probably five or six years after me leaving school a lot of them were picked up at that point so I think you know a good amount especially in the UK are now recognized as having you know dyslexia or dyspraxia or whatever it might be but actually for the older generation my mom didn't find out she was dyslexic until I was 11 when she was diagnosed because the guy who was diagnosed sat down with her for five minutes asked her you know a few questions and said yep you're dyslexic as well and so I think sometimes actually it's the older generations that perhaps have absolutely never had a clue that they are, they are potentially on the autistic spectrum or are neurologically diverse um but because they've never been given the support or understanding they you know they've gone through their whole lives thinking that they're just bad at certain things in life or you know were stupid that was my mm-hmm. mom's opinion she always used to say to me i just thought i was thick you know i thought mm-hmm. i was really stupid at school and and of course it's not it's just that they learn in a different way um and from an educational side of things it's been shown that all all students all kids actually learn better when taught in a way that supports neurological diversity so it's actually oh, taken yeah. that across into companies and saying well how do we make sure that when we're communicating internally how do we make sure that that is across all levels and uh, you know applies to all people and and all different types of learning capabilities
1: I I think that's so important. There's um, some interesting work that we're doing at the moment. So we have a campaign that I'm running, which is called Generation Agile. So the the basis of the campaign is that um, education across the board needs to give more support and more weight to actually teaching agile skills. So things like complex problem solving, creativity, um, team working. There's some really fundamental ones. Um, The World Economic Forum uh, produced a a report um, earlier this year, and it was looking at the the skills, the top 10 skills that were looked for by employers in 2018, and then projecting forward to 2023, so five years out. And it's much more on that agile skill side, particularly as technology picks up. So even things that are really looked for now in terms of um, data analysis, for example, that's going to be majority uh, run by computers. Like you're just not gonna need to have that personal level of, of skill anymore. But what's happening at the moment is that our educational systems um, around the world, it's not just a UK thing, aren't really set up to deliver those things. So what I've been doing is talking to different organisations that are actually trying to change that. And most of the time, they're not using terms like agile. They're not talking about that. And it doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter. Um, But what does matter is the fact that, kids um, and young people are being given those skills they're being helped to develop them so that they can actually fulfill the the jobs of the future that are going to be required but also so that the organizations who want to be more agile actually have the people in the organizations with the skill sets that are able to do it so one um, case study that we've just recently released and, and this is on our website as well is based on um, islington primary schools And some of the work that they do with um, the STEM Ambassadors Program. So STEM, Science, Technology, Engineering and Maths, I can remember the acronym. Um, What what they do is they they have a a group of ambassadors who are all volunteers, who are people who work in those fields in one way or another. And they will often go and um, speak to students, talk to them about their careers, all of that kind of thing. The, the case study that we've developed is um, one with um, an organisation that specifically runs um, hackathons with primary school kids. So they're teaching them a way of approaching problems and teaching them a skill that a lot of people don't learn until much later in life, either if they, you know, decide that they're going to become a programmer or run a startup or something like that. And, it's really, really exciting. It's really interesting how the kids get really involved. It actually makes the teachers more engaged, taking part in the STEM Ambassadors Programme, because they feel like there's actually more purpose to, to what they do, and they're starting to see a resonance, more of a resonance with the kids, because they're interested in the subjects. Um, but that whole kind of project-based learning and problem-based learning is really, really vital, and um, and it much more supports, as you say, um, neurodiverse student populations but it actually makes it more interesting for those people who aren't I mean the the things that I remember from school because I was quite I was quite kind of traditionally academic and um, and therefore uh, you know in terms of in terms of learning I had quite an easy ride particularly through my through my primary school and early secondary school years Um, but I would have just enjoyed it so much more if if it had been more engaging, more fun, more project-based, rather than here's a book, memorise this bit, and then regurgitate it.
0: Yeah, sure. And I and I think that that's some of the problem that employers find. I think with the skills mm-hmm. gap, you know, that um, there there still is such a skills gap where, I, you know, even seeing it from a marketing perspective, um, I it was working with a company again earlier this year. They had some. Basically, you know marketing graduates coming in who still had no idea about social media they had no idea about c r m systems there There were some real basic things that they just hadn't been covered and and it was it was amazing because you think you know this is this is today's age where marketing is all digital, so actually yep. you know okay, it's important to learn foundational approaches to marketing. But ultimately, what is probably most important is landing pages and digital marketing and SEO and social media. And so I think, yeah, that there is a skills gap in terms of soft and hard skills that, like you said, the problem is we have no idea what the world's going to look like in five years, but we can at least try and get to a point where I think it's it's a bit like an analogy I always say where when when most people are taught how to cook, they're taught with recipes. And the problem mm-hmm. with a recipe is that it's just one formula. So if yes. you teach somebody how to make tomato soup and you give them a recipe, they can only ever make tomato soup. But when you teach them the method, the methodology of soup in general, they can make soup with anything. And yep. so it's, it's that problematic thinking where it's looking at something and figuring out, well, okay, if today i'm a coder but if tomorrow coding ends because i mean we're seeing it now in in the world of marketing the landing page page builders and the website builders almost anybody can build a website now almost anybody can build web tile apps you know these things are actually getting easier and more simple so as you say, well what's the next set of problems that we need to solve over the next 20 years um and it's all of that side of things that if, if you're teaching people the methodology rather than a specific set uh, of principles or, or a set recipe of doing something in a certain way. So it's um, yes, yeah, it's, it's great to hear that you're doing work with schools, because I think, you know, this is where a lot more focus needs to go. And, and also yeah. within an organisation, one of the biggest problems that I see is especially companies that are quite heavily multi generational there is a bit of a discourse between the older generation and the younger because obviously they grew up in different worlds. Mm-hmm. You know, these the kids today grew up with phones in their hands. So for them, social media is just an extension of their everyday life. For a, a yeah. member of a team in a marketing agency who's who's in their 50s, you know, they sort of know that this stuff is out there. but But because they weren't brought up on it, so I, I guess that's that challenge of how do you get that intergenerational play happening and understanding and learning from each other, but how, how a company actually understands how to take in millennials and, um, you know, give them all the means that they need to flourish within an organisation.
1: I, I think that's true. And, and, um, and I tend to think that marketing is a particularly good discipline, actually, for having that awareness, because all of us, definitely me, Um, we get to a point where there will be a new platform or a new kind of technique that comes along and we just don't get it me snapchat and twitch not that's not my bag (laughs) like i know (laughs) they exist i do not get it tiktok i kind of understand but it's just still it's like that's you know that's me so i'm like ah okay that's a little reality check there i'm officially old in marketing terms <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah it's it's true and you know uh, i i think that's that's the challenge but for a company it's actually seeing that as an as an advantage where i, yeah. I don't i'm on, i'm not on tiktok you know i i like you said i kind of understand it and i think that if i potentially work with the right company of the right demographic audience then I know that it would be a good thing to do, but it still doesn't mean that I would feel confident in creating a marketing campaign on the platform because I just I'm not on it. And so I I can't understand what is or is not going to work for that generation. So I think that's where it is important to say, okay, there is a line to be drawn that actually, if you're going to run a TikTok campaign, it's probably a 20 to to 22 year old that needs to do that who uses it in their own time but can apply a marketing strategy to it so yeah, yeah
1: absolutely and i think also with that as well something that i've seen as a as a marketing kind of not it's not a trend it's not it's just but it's just the the kind of the framework of where we are is that there is so much more breadth now so for example um like looking at youtube youtube's been around for donkey's years now i mean you know in in marketing years a really long time in internet years um but the way that different people use it and different industries use it is is really changing so you might know um about uh i don't know like makeup influencers for example that's a very very different approach to say like the gaming industry which is massive in terms of for for those people that don't know just in terms of like the money that can be made by individuals recording themselves playing games and talking about it like it sounds ridiculous actually it's really engaging um especially if that is a game that you're into yourself and and it's it's absolutely enormous now but the people who you know you might get someone who understands both even though they're a very very different thing those people probably aren't necessarily the same people that would be great at running like a really solid snapchat campaign it's just so different
0: yeah so i think jumping back to that because i, I think it, it is interesting how much the world is changing um the game example uh, a friend of mine their step brother it basically at at one point was making sort of 20 or 30 grand a month in recording themselves playing games and you know this is it it's it's little signs like that that times are changing they're changing fast and so I guess as as the consortium how do you manage this breadth because you know agility is is so broad it's so Mm. wide it's company culture and it's health and it's mental health and it's marketing and branding and so there's so many aspects to it how How do you actually manage that, and you know as a team yourselves, make sure that you're on the front foot to help organizations through this process and I guess you've you've got to be really balanced because you've got to understand them where they are, but also understand where the market is going as well
1: I think partly it's recognizing that nobody can, so we see ourselves as a um, you know as a as a gathering point so we do not have all the expertise in-house we have always taken a very collegiate kind of approach in terms of developing um tools and methodologies and also the the qualifications so we we have created um the materials and the Uh, the methodologies and things that are used for a lot of different qualifications now and then we have them accredited externally and it's different trainers that run them so it so we're not you know running training ourselves but we have always brought in people who are doing those things from different disciplines from different areas to actually help create that content Um, I think it's healthy to recognize that no one person can be on top of everything Um, so for example uh, like looking at agile HR um, you know there's some really really strong uh, people who are who are leading in those areas. Um, Pia Maria Thoren is one and Natal Dank is another um, who are creating and and developing agile HR as a discipline and we look to them for okay what's the latest thing in that area. We don't have to Create it all here, and I think that that's actually a big problem for uh, a lot of enterprise organisations as well. The kind of the not in not invented here syndrome is poisonous, you know. Take take the knowledge from wherever it exists because those people know. Like it's it's too hard now because things are things change so fast. You can't always upskill yourself or your own team to to do everything. This is why there are um, you know, more and more specialists and and kind of consultants and, and project based workers who are brought in to help solve specific issues or bring knowledge or experience in specific ways um, and who then move on again. And, and that's fine. It's OK. Um, I think recognising your your shortcomings and where your gaps are has to be a starting point. Um, we also work with several different universities. We fund the, um, the Agile Research Network and then we work with other universities outside of the network as well. And we're drawing on the, the studies and, and the expertise that they have and looking at what they're doing in terms of working with, um, you know, the next wave of, of entrepreneurs and the next wave of Agile businesses that, that are appearing in the world.
0: Brilliant. Yeah. And so if, a, if an organisation, business, company, startup, whoever it is, wants to become more um, more agile, mm-hmm. is, is that something that is, you know, purely online resource? Is it about coming to events? Is it about working with a coach? And I know there's lots and lots of different levels, but yeah. um, how, how easy is it to start that process?
1: I think it's very easy to start and then where you want to go after that depends on the type of that that will then influence the type of help that you look for. So for example I mean there's a lot of great free information available on our website. Go and have a look, pick up some of the resources, um, you you know watch some of the videos, use some of the case studies just to get a handle on okay what does this mean. Don't fall into the understanding that you want to be more agile and then saying right we're going to do remote working. Like that's not what it's about. It's much more about understanding the basics of um, incremental and iterative working and and doing things like, you know, simple things like just enough planning up front, different ways to prioritise, all of that kind of stuff. We have all of that available online. Um, What you might find that you want to do is um, bring in someone that's worked in an agile team before. That can be very, very helpful, whether that's as a consultant or a core team member, um, because they can on a day-to-day basis actually say if we do things this way that could be a lot more helpful um i think it's important that people look at their culture i thoroughly recommend having a look at the matrix that we created because that's free again um and the principles of agile culture and saying actually you know could we be a little bit more like this and um there's a common term in agile which is about the fact that agile is is a journey rather than a destination um they agilists tend not to talk about best practice because that implies that you can get to a level of of um achievement and then you just sit there and that's not what it's about it's always about developing further and it's an ongoing process um There are also really good and accessible qualifications that are available. So um, the ones that we've created that, as I say, are delivered by other people. um, Agile PM, which is the the world's most popular agile project management qualification. Um, There are people who offer that online. There are people who offer it in person. And although it's designed for project management, it's got those principles in that you can apply to, to just about everything. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of information out there and we're more than happy for, for people to come along and, and use all of our free stuff. Um, it can be very valuable to attend either a local meetup or um, some organized events as well. So whether that's something like the Agile Business Conference that we run or, you know, like a local Agile meetup, And just find out what other people are doing, you know, listen to some case studies, see how things have happened in other organisations, what their successes were and what their pitfalls were. And then, you know, think about, okay, well, how would that work for me? Uh, And the benefit of a live event is that you can normally go up and ask them afterwards as well, which is really handy.
0: Yeah, brilliant. That's great. And um, what are some of your favourite business transformation stories that you've seen? Because I think it's, you know, we, we, we talked about a few But it'd be really nice for some of the listeners to hear maybe some particular examples of businesses that really have become agile and changed culture and it's made an impact in in different ways.
1: Yeah, I think there's some I think there's some really good different examples because because also so it happens in different ways. So there's there's those organisations where they have um, they've taken an old company and then morphed into something new. Or there's people who've looked at like an industry model and then completely changed that industry and developed as time has gone on. So so an example of the latter is someone like Netflix, like they reinvented how... Um, how video rental was done but then what they've done now is they're continuing to reinvent themselves by creating their their own programming as well and then also hooking up with other platforms so for example like i have netflix at home but i access it through my amazon prime now you might think of those as being competitive services but i'm very happy to have both of them and i use both of them extensively um and so it's it's changing that whole business model from being uh you know blockbuster versus another video rental store to being something completely different um i think spotify is is often held up as being like the kind of the ultimate agile model um and people talk about structuring their business in a similar way to the way that spotify does theirs um spotify themselves say that only works if you are a very 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 similar organization to them i.e you do music um streaming and you're based in sweden right so they they talk a they talk about that in the same way. So, so Spotify, again, um, you know, following on from the kind of the Napsters, they, they looked at that model changed the way it was done, but now they're evolving too. So the fact that podcasts and things are available through Spotify, they've changed the way that they, they run their their advertising and their subscription program and all of those kind of things as well. So I think there's, there's lots of, of different examples. Um, And what I would encourage people to do is kind of seek out the ones, seek out like what happens in their industry. So if they if they just Google like business agility or agile and then their industry and see what comes up, because there is a perception that it's all about tech. It's all about software. Um, There's a great organization whose name I cannot remember because it's just gone from my mind, Um, but they are a, um, a tomato canning plant a tomato canning company um, based in North America. I think they produce something like 40% of all of North America's canned tomatoes or something ridiculous. It's an, it's an awful lot, but so they, they have a very traditional type of um, product manufacturing process. There's only so many ways you can get a tomato, squish it and stick it in a can. Right. However, they became an, an agile business, but they did it through that cultural approach. They did it through, making it possible for uh, any member of of the organization to actually make change within the business. Um, So so it was a combination of leadership because they empowered the people um, and the culture as well. So, there's, yeah, there's loads and loads of different examples out there. It's actually really hard just to to pick a couple. Um, and what I'm loving to see right now is also where people are taking learning from an organization that they've worked in that did work in an Agile way and then applying it. In, in another organization or creating their own business. Um, so I know we've mentioned Monzo a couple of times. A, a friend of mine, uh, Bailey Kursa, uh, used to work with Monzo. Um, she's now set up an organization called Toucan. They're a, a finance app that is specifically designed to um, support uh, balanced mental health around finance because people suffering from um, mental health difficulties of oftentimes it's their, their finances that are kind of the thing that they lose track of at the first hurdle and then they can end up in a really bad position um, and then that just makes their mental health issues worse and it's such a wonderful needed thing so she's obviously learned about um, you know finance and um, how to do it in a, in a banking in a different way and has taken that learning and then applied it to something that really matters to her um, and I'm really excited to see where they go as an organisation
0: amazing and and sort of finally, if an organization wants to become more agile um, I hate to put a number on it, but if you had three or five or ten top sort of tips to get started what what would be you know some and it, and it could be a software tool or it could be a process or it could be something to do, it could be a workshop what what would you suggest an organization start doing
1: right so i would say have a look at our um principles of agile leadership to start with i think there's eight of them i think there's eight um if you want to make your organization more agile i think the most effective way to do that is is top down because then you've got the advantage that that people lower down are are more empowered to do it so you so you have to take that leadership approach first um I would also suggest that um, that they that an organization next talks to its people, explains what it's trying to do, and actually says, "Look, we want you to be part of this process. We want you to um, to contribute in a different way that actually allows you to do more with with the abilities that you have and to be valued in a better way. For it. And I think that, you know, especially if you're talking about a larger organization, that's your kind of like your top and your bottom. I think then what you have to do is make sure that the people in the middle are appropriately skilled to make that happen. Because as we know, when under pressure um, or under stress, everybody kind of reverts back to to their kind of their, their baseline way of operation. And middle managers Thereby feeling that their their roles might be threatened because they're being they're being asked to facilitate something that's completely different um, could revert much more to that command and control and micromanaging and I think it's helping those people to become uh, more of the coaching and the servant leaders and I think that could be as simple as you know reskilling and and retrailing it could be as simple as bringing in um, one or two or more agile coaches to actually help with that process. Um, Those external eyes can be really, really valuable. Um, But for an individual, you can become more agile in your way of working, whatever you do, wherever you are. It's a case of understanding the, um, the iterative and the incremental approach. So doing small things, testing, and then building on with the next thing, proving the value of that, and even if you only use it to manage your own workload, it just tends to make your life a lot easier and and more uh, joyful as, as part of it. Um, and one of my favourite tools for doing that is Trello. You know, it's it's free as a personal account. It's really really easy to use. It's very easy to show to people to explain what you're up to and, and why and build that transparency. And uh, yeah, it's it's a really really useful tool. Um, and if you would like to have you know, a kind of a, a drip feed of of more of that stuff, more of those resources um, available to you, including all sorts of templates and that kind of thing. Then I heartily recommend membership of the consortium. It's fifty quid a year. Um, yeah, it's really valuable.
0: Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Tamzin. Um, where can people find? Obviously, I'll, I'll put all of the information in the show notes. But where can people find you and uh, the business, cons- the Agile Consortium?
1: So yeah, we're at agilebusiness.org. Um you can also find me on LinkedIn and uh Twitter if you just search for my name, Tamsin Fox Davis. I'm pretty much the only one of me. Um I'm at Tamsin F D on uh on Twitter. Um and if you like pictures of plants and dogs, I'm on Instagram too for that.
0: <laughs> Amazing. Well thank you so much. Been been really good to have a conversation. Thank and you. um perhaps it'd be nice to pick up something a little bit deeper later on with with a few of those topics. But yeah, thank you so much for, for coming on the podcast.
1: Thank you. I've had a great time.
0: Brilliant. (laughs) Thank you.